it was just so alarming. And I just realized that basically if you fix food waste, or at least go, if you fix a big chunk of it, you could solve many, many of the social and environmental issues we face today. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to holistic healing, eco-regeneration, and true abundance and wellness for all. This is a community-backed show, so if you're learning from us and find our work valuable, we kindly ask for your direct support today, if you can, at patreon.com slash greendreamer or at greendreamer.com slash paypal. For today's episode, I'm chatting with Matt Homewood, who is a food waste campaigner on a mission to put an end to supermarket food waste in Denmark and beyond. If you don't already follow him on Instagram at an urban harvester, I highly recommend that you do just to be able to visualize a lot of what we're going to talk about today in regards to his journey dumpster diving across the US and now primarily in Denmark, often touted as one of the most sustainable countries in the world and yet largely has invisibilized the mass food waste scandal in their very own backyards. So stay tuned as Matt shares his experience dumpster diving, why he's chosen to push for a market-based solution in addressing the food waste coming from supermarkets, and so much more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. I grew up in London, just in the suburbs, actually quite disconnected from nature in many ways. But like many teenagers in England, I watched Sir David Attenborough's wildlife documentaries. I think he's pretty big in the US these days. But anyway, so I watched watched a lot of his documentaries and it just got me inspired to learn more about wildlife. And after traveling for about 10 months between school and university, I, yeah, I decided to go study zoology at Edinburgh University up in Scotland. And basically, I just came across the sixth mass extinction event and I realized the world was really quite complex. So then I went across to Denmark to study climate change uh, for two years. And that's when I came very interested in in the global food system. And during that time, that's what I specialise in, because obviously climate change is such a massive topic. We started quite broad. And then, of course, you you narrow in. and, And that's why I picked food system. I suppose with my biological background, it made sense. And anyway, very quickly, you when you look at the, the global food system as it is, you realize you come across this statistic from the Food and Agriculture Organization that we waste between a third and half of all food produced every year, about 1.2 to 2 trillion kilograms of food every year. And I just couldn't believe it. And yeah, and, and as you'll see when, I, when we're having this conversation, I try and use kilograms or pounds. I don't try and I don't use tons because I found the minute I start speaking about these issues in tons, we lose the human scale. So a ton of bread, most people just, what is a ton of bread? How long does that even last for? So, so I try and, and discuss this with kilograms and pounds. But anyway, so that's how I came across food waste essentially during my thesis. And um, it was just so alarming. And I just realized that basically if you fix food waste, or at least go, if you fix a big chunk of it, you could solve many, many of the social and environmental issues we face today. So dumpster diving is something that 
people who are food insecure may have to resort to in order to meet their needs, but isn't necessarily something that most people would want to get into by choice. So how did you get into harvesting food waste from grocery dumpsters? And what were some of the most shocking moments that you've experienced from doing this? So actually, the first time I came across dumpster diving in a major way was three, three and a half years ago now when I flew to New York City to meet up with one of your friends, who's a friend of mine also now, Rob Greenfield, with his buddies, uh, the Green Riders. We cycled from New York City all the way to the West Coast of the US. And I was a student at the time, so I didn't have much money. And as we were cycling out of, of Manhattan, we got into New Jersey very quickly. And I, I was cycling with Rob on the first day. And I said to him, I said, so, you know, this whole dumpster diving business, so, you know, I've, I've seen you've done a lot of videos. How big a problem, like how much food, we, how much free food are we going to get on this trip? And he thought I was joking. So we just rolled up to the nearest CVS, went around the back, and then we just got gallons and gallons of orange juice, pounds of almonds, and all the rest of the junk that's sold in those kind of stores. And I just couldn't believe it. And that's when it really dawned in. I was like, oh my God, wow, so much food. And then basically from New York all the way to Minnesota, we lived on supermarket food waste. And then when I came back to Europe, I wanted to check out whether dump diving was a phenomenon in, in Denmark. And it really is. And all the bins here are accessible, which is quite unusual because in England, for example, where I grew up, completely locked up. And we'll talk about that later, maybe. But in Denmark, anyway, completely open. It's a free-for-all. And the waste here is unbelievable, which is kind of ironic, because if you Google Denmark food waste, you'll get so many articles from, from The Guardian, the BBC, from the Huff Post saying, Denmark, global lead on food waste. So it's pretty comical, really, because if you go to the supermarkets around the back, what? you'll see some of the photos that I've taken. It's just absolutely unbelievable. And I suppose some of the most shocking harvests I've ever had was actually very recently, just after Christmas. Whenever seasonal gatherings happen, so Easter or Christmas, or Denmark being a Christian country, just after those moments is mass, mass food waste, which means peak harvesting time for me and all the other harvesters, because there are many in Denmark and Scandinavia. And uh, anyway, I came across 800 cow cream packets. And I don't drive. I can't drive, unfortunately. So, so I can only harvest by bicycle. And I went three times and I managed to bring back 153 kilos worth of cream, which is about, about 340 pounds. And I've worked out that that's 57 cows worth of milk. Wow. Because uh, it takes 10 litres of milk to make one litre of cream. And anyway, basically, I had 57 cows in my lounge for a few days as I was taking all these photos. But it's, it's basically, it's out of control, just like all other Western countries. Denmark is quite transparent in that we have access to, to, to the trash, whereas a lot of countries hide that, obviously, for good reason, because it's, it's really quite embarrassing. So... So yeah, that's that's kind of how I've ended up doing the dumpster diving. And, and it did end up, and it started as a bit of a, a way of saving money, I suppose. And I was kind of showing off initially on Instagram, like, oh, look, freegan lifestyle. <laughs> and then I realized that actually there were many, many, many other people like me on Instagram and Facebook doing this. And then I just realized, oh my goodness, this is across the West. This really is just... A massive disaster. And that's when I became much more 
kind of organized with an urban harvester. And, and now that the platform's grown, I try and share as many other harvesters harvest from across the West to really show people that this is a Western epidemic, essentially. Now, how much of what you harvest is actually food that's still marked within the expiration dates compared to ones that are that have expired so that the supermarkets literally just cannot sell them? And then also, I guess, for produce, there might not even be expiration dates marked on them. So how much of that is actually like just perfectly edible? So dumpster diving is uh, very cyclical. So if you go in the afternoons, that's when it's perfect time to get your fruit and veg in Denmark, at least. And the thing is, in Denmark's part of the European Union, and obviously we're under European law. So if fruit and vegetables, if they're organic, they have to be wrapped in plastic so that there isn't fraud in the, the supermarket selling you conventionally grown fruit and vegetable at organic food prices. So that's just EU law. And what I'm, and the reason why I mentioned that is because basically they package lemons, for example, six a packet. And of course, fruit and vegetables don't go off all at the same time. So you'll get one lemon that's completely rotten and then five that are absolutely perfect. You get the same for apples. I and mean, every single fruit and vegetable you can think of, that happens with a certain percentage of the, the food that ends up in the supermarket. So, so that's the fruit and vegetable side. And then you've got the cheese, the meat, which is particularly sad and devastating. And then you've got your miscellaneous products. And they, on the most part, are thrown out because the expiry date has, has passed. The best before, as they call it in Denmark. And what I've come to learn with the, the best before date system is that, in a way, supermarkets are using that date system to their advantage Because basically, food waste, I've learned, is very much factored into this, to their business models. I mean, you can't waste on this scale on a weekly basis without being aware of it and factoring in it in your economics. Otherwise, you'd go bust. And I suppose it's, it's, these supermarkets are so big that they can afford a certain percentage of waste at every store because they've got hundreds, if not thousands of stores. But any anyway, the problem with the, the date system is that if it were illegal to waste food, because as we've said, a lot of this food is absolutely, completely perfectly edible. If it was illegal to, to waste food, the supermarkets would make sure to sell all food, no matter the loss on the product. And so they would reduce the price of, of these commodities in good time. And they do it progressively, just like our tax system. And so So I don't know, you know, a week to go on 180 bags of coffee that I found once, you'd start reducing it by 30% with a week to go. And then every day you'd, you'd discount even more to make sure that, you know, by the end, there is no coffee in the bin. But that's not what's happening because clearly what the local municipalities charge or the local counties charge for the, the local dumps, uh, waste companies to pick up all this trash isn't big of enough a penalty to put off the supermarket from, from dumping it. And essentially, they want you and me to buy as much of our food at full retail price as possible. Mm. And yeah, that's the problem I've kind of witnessed. So you're really speaking to the 
incentives that have been built into the system and how laws and regulations may affect that. Whenever people talk about food waste as a problem, a lot of us immediately think about the food that we end up wasting ourselves within our own lives. We know that the carbon footprint calculator, for example, was popularized intentionally by BP to put the onus of climate change on the individual to deflect corporate and systemic responsibility. And, you know, same anti-littering campaigns in recent decades have also tried to put the onus on individuals to fix problems like plastic and trash pollution. So I'm wondering if you think that this tendency to blame individuals for the shortcomings of companies and systems applies to food waste as well. And have there been conscious efforts by corporations to do this? So I'm not entirely sure whether corporations have been on the act. But when it comes to Denmark, I've got the figures in front of me. Without a doubt, there has been far too much attention put on consumers because in Denmark, every year, there's 700 million kilograms of food waste. At the consumer level, that's 260 million kilos, which is about 37% of total Danish food waste. Now, that's for 5.8 million people, though. So it's too much food waste because at the end of the day, we all know that it's a waste of money. And so I really urge people to, to reduce on their food waste because, because they'll save money. And that's a great thing. And, and of course, they will do great things for the environment. But most importantly, they're wasting their money. I focus on the retail angle because in Denmark, supermarkets waste 163 million kilos. So that's 23% compared to that 37%. So actually, it's not that big a difference. And there are only 2,700 stores in this country. So it's just absolutely massive, essentially. And Project Drawdown just released an update this year in their climate mitigation publication that said that food waste was the greatest tool available to us, or food waste reduction was the greatest tool available to humanity to avoid two degrees warming. I mean, I thought plant-based diets or reduction of flying would be top. But no, according to them, it's food waste. So I was surprised, but that came out in March. And it really goes to show how critical it it is for us to, to reduce food waste at home, yes, but to seriously up the pressure on supermarkets. And if they can't do it, then we need different businesses that are more ethical to sell us this food. Now, I believe there are also laws that restrict you and anyone from donating food that was harvested from these dumpsters so that you can only essentially use it for yourself or give it to your friends. So with the massive amounts of discarded food that you harvest, what do you actually do with them in the end? Yeah. So in Denmark, it's it's illegal to repurpose that food to people I don't know. So, so I try and give as much of the food as possible to, to friends and family. But of course, I didn't grow up here. So my network isn't the largest, it has to be said. But it is painful. I mean, when I come back with 50 kilos worth of fruit and vegetables, just for, you know, one of those, those really shocking photographs for social media and, and, and the traditional press, it does really pain me to, to throw that food back out because I can't risk a $1,200 fine every single time I do this. I mean, really, I'm not, I'm not well off as it is. If I did that, I'd quickly go broke. So unfortunately, I'm a hypocrite like, like the supermarkets and I throw back all this food. And that is, that is a great shame. 
I couldn't even give it to the food banks because I'm not part of the food bank system. So, so again, I'd get, I'd get prosecuted. So, I mean, it has to be said, an urban harvest that is a political project and I want to bring in legislation to sort this food out once and for all. And I, I'm not redistributing food, unfortunately, but that's just kind of the way it is. I've had to be pragmatic with, with the situation I find myself in. And also I'm a foreigner in a foreign country. So yeah, you have to be a bit bit careful, unfortunately. Right. And is there a loophole there as in, can you or others like you, because obviously you can only do so much and Mm. your current focus is really highlighting this issue and raising awareness, but could people like you technically just befriend a lot of houseless people who are food insecure and give whatever is at least still within the formal expiration dates or clearly still safe to eat to them as your quote unquote friends? Yeah. Well, the thing is, and this is the issue when it comes to, to the food waste issues, that every single country is different. As Bernie Sanders always likes to, to refer to Scandinavia, Scandinavia is a very progressive region of the world when it comes to the social aspect, environmental, not so much. But, but what that means is that essentially it's one massive middle class. So poverty is not altogether that common compared to the United Kingdom or the USA. And homelessness isn't that much of an issue either. The 6,000 homeless people here, which obviously is quite a lot, but it's not, it's not that big a problem. It's certainly not that visible. And also, and on top of that, Denmark's kind of referred to as the association country. They're very, very cooperative. And there are many associations and organizations that help vulnerable people and homeless people. And so actually there isn't really space or necessity for me and other well-meaning individuals to to help those people because they've actually got a lot of um a lot of help as it is and actually we could talk about the three solutions that have kind of been proposed in danish media but they've been widely reported in the international press uh, because two of those are social well first of all you've got the food bank system and well, essentially these three solutions have been touted by the press as as how we're solving food waste. And I'm actually quite skeptical. I always look for evidence and data having come from the scientific background with my scientific background. And so basically you've got this concept called We Food and it was set up by the Danish Christian organization and it's a social supermarket. So essentially supermarkets donate some of their excess goods or surplus food as they like to call it before trashing it. It was set up in 2016. There are six stores today across Denmark And figures just came out last week that in 2020, they saved 358,000 kilos, which sounds like a lot. But if you recall, supermarket food waste in Denmark is 163 million kilos. So actually, that's only 0.2%. Oh, and it relies on volunteers, 200 volunteers, each giving up 15 hours per month for a minimum of six months. And... I'm not against volunteering, but it's important to understand that despite all that free labor, all the media attention, the five years and the considerable funding, they have managed to save actually relatively little food. The food banks, where a lot of the vulnerable and homeless people can access the food, save 1.3 million kilos of food a year from the supermarkets. That's 0.8%. So those two extremely important projects 
have only saved 1%. So from the environmental angle, it's still a disaster. And that's why I'm looking for a market solution, i.e. it has to be solved on price. Now, of course, all the technological optimists out there will tell me, well, have you not heard of Too Good To Go? And this is an app that was actually founded in Denmark in 2015 by five young entrepreneurs here. And they've gone on to big things, very true. But I think when it comes to supermarkets, it doesn't seem to work because they've only teamed up with certain companies here, not all the companies in Denmark, even though they've been in business five years. And if you read the fine print of all these announcements in the media, they actually cap the number of too good to go bags they sell every day. So my local supermarket, for example, only sell 4.5 bags per day. Go around the back, you've got the dumpsters are still full. So clearly the economics from the supermarket perspective don't make sense. So I got in touch with Too Good To Go and I said, you know, we've got a problem. What, what are your economics? And they told me that basically for $12 worth of fruit, vegetables, cheese, perhaps, they force the supermarket to sell it for $4. And then from the $4, Too Good To Go take a $1.10 commission fixed commission on every single bag. And that's fair enough. They've got employees to pay. They've got obviously an app system to develop and, and maintain. But that means from the supermarket's perspective, they are facing a 76% discount on goods. And clearly, that's too much for them. Hence why they cap the bags and their dumpsters are full every evening around the back. So, so it can be a bit depressing But the reason why I go so deep into this issue is because it is urgent and we mustn't be duped by, by the media telling us that it's been solved through these, these solutions when in fact they're not solving it at all. And we need big reforms to the food system, as so many of your guests have said in so many other episodes. Uh, so we need to stand strong and, and really push for those big, big shifts that we need, not, not some small class the solutions that are not gonna not gonna do it for us. I could tell I was living in a world that wasn't made for brown skinned girls. Just you wait, it'll be your turn. And in the mirror I would say to her, I could be the girl, can't you see? I could be the face on the Well, first of all, I forget that in Scandinavia, you guys have much better um, social welfare systems to make sure that people aren't absolutely just falling through the cracks of society and that they're at least somewhat being taken care of if they're really struggling just to get by. Whereas places like in the U.S., of course, I think we have huge problems with the disconnect of the two issues. So one of food waste, waste of ed a perfectly edible food. And then on the other hand, so many people who are food insecure. So for us, of course, if there are ways that we can sort of bridge those two issues, 
that could be hugely impactful and same for a lot of other places as well. And my question for you is, I know you focus on this solution of a gradual price reduction as a market-based solution. So my question is, what if there's just too much absolute quantity of food? Because we can only eat so much with a certain population size. So what if there's just too much food being produced altogether that even with the price reduction going on, people might be purchasing things at a cheaper price tag and prevent whatever is more closely expired from ending up in the trash cans, but then it backs up all the produce that is newly coming in. Am I making any sense? So like just basically what if the absolute number of or quantity of food is just way too much for the population that's in that one place? And how would that sort of work itself out? And of course, we always want too much food rather than too little. Uh, So I suppose there will always be some waste and that we just have to accept. It's just we can't accept it on the levels we're witnessing right now. So for example, when I came across 160 packets of bacon, and not a single discount price. The reason why I push for the discount price is that at least I just, I'd love for it to be in law that if you're a supermarket, you can't throw products out if they've not at least had a 50% discount. How, how supermarkets are throwing away beef at this, in this day and age when we're so climate aware without even a discount is just too, it's incomprehensible. I just learned the other day that, for example, beef and lamb, that food waste in the US only represents 3% of the total food waste mass. But when it comes to carbon emissions, it represents 31% of total food waste emissions. So really, I mean, how we're throwing out meat on the scale that we are is just unforgivable. Mm. So, So I suppose there are many, there's going to be many small tweaks to certain proposals we can implement uh, for governments and right. you know, some will be good some will be bad and, and we'll just have to deal with it but you're right there will be there will likely always be a surplus and that's a good thing but it's just the scale at the moment which is unacceptable and yeah and I, I mean I come from the UK and, and same same as the US maybe not quite as bad as the USA but it, it's not far off I mean we've got more food banks in the UK than Burger King and McDonald's put together not that I'm in favor of those two businesses, but still it goes to show how, how desperately bad the situation has, has arisen now in the UK for the last 12 years uh, under conservative or right. right-wing, right-wing governments. And um, I mean, food waste is a massive issue, as is homelessness and poverty. But I'm not entirely sure they're, they're linked in a way. You know, we need drastic political solutions to poverty in work poverty and homelessness. If you look back at the 60s, it doesn't seem that those issues were as bad. So I try and not confound those, uh, you know, I might sound very cold hearted to many people and I I really hope I don't come across like that, but I just try and separate the issues a little bit because for me, this food waste is kind of a symptom of a food system that's completely out of control. homelessness and poverty is are symptoms of an economic system that's completely out of control not enough jobs not enough you know, people aren't getting paid enough so yeah so that's kind of why i've gone about it this way right i mean i can certainly see for countries like the us that 
have a lot of people who face food insecurity while there being so much food currently discarded, how those two things can be bridged. But for places like in Scandinavia, where there's still a lot of food waste, but where most people are at least able to put food on the table and meet their basic food needs through Mm. governmental systems. I also wonder if there may be collaborations between countries even. So if these countries are doing well to feed feed themselves and all of their people, but there's still so much absolute wasted food, how, how the countries could collaborate with countries that face food insecurity at a large scale that don't currently have that much wasted food in general. So that could be another way to look at this, I guess, for food that isn't so perishable that they would go bad during that transportation process, but just some things to think about. And of course, we'd also talked on the show before about how this idea of food waste is kind of a misnomer because it's more a matter of misplacement. And that waste could, first of all, go to feed people if they're still safe to be consumed, whether through market solutions or through connecting with people that are facing food insecurity. And otherwise, that waste can be a gift of nourishment for our lands and soils and microbial life. So do you have thoughts on how we can connect all of this, quote unquote, waste to degraded lands that could use that nourishment essentially as fertilizer? Exactly right. I think that is how we're going to solve the food waste supermarket issue in Denmark, actually. And that is because in Danish law, businesses actually have to separate their organic waste compared to their other fractions, so plastic or cardboard. And at the moment, they're just dumping it all in one dumpster and it's going to the incineration plant, which is better than landfill, of course, because you're recovering about 10% of the total energy that's been put in, but it's only 10%. And as you say, we could be converting that into fertilizer. And that's how we're going to get them, I think, is by basically saying, hold on, why are all the citizens in Denmark separating their trash into 10 different fractions whilst new businesses are just dumping it all? I mean, surely it's double standards here. And and that's exactly right. Businesses have to separate this mass food waste so that we can return all these nutrients back to the land. So no, that's absolutely one of the solutions, as is perhaps giving all the fruit and vegetables that isn't, uh, that is no longer edible, definitely try and give them, feed all of that to pigs, for example. Uh, Tristram Stewart's big idea, of course, is the pig idea, and is to make sure that certainly non-animal food waste should always be going to animals and not incineration plants or landfills. And, And by the way, one thing about the market solutions about food waste, just today on LinkedIn, I saw that Carrefour, which is a French brand originally, they have stores in Poland that are now going to trial a specific section, uh, designated section within their supermarkets in Poland, where soon to be expired food products will be discounted by up to 90% of the original retail price. So let's see what happens in Poland, whether these stores manage to, to reduce some of their food waste, because, oh, by the way, Poland on Instagram is on fire. What some of these people bring back, you just, you cannot believe it. I mean, seriously, half the store sometimes, okay, not quite, but still, I mean, like, they they can't even put it in their lounges so much. They have to put it out in kind of small parts. Hmm. It's just astonishing. Well, I can only imagine how disheartening it is for you to confront this wasteful reality on a daily or 
weekly basis because it's just the focus of your work right now. So what are some initiatives or projects working to address food misplacement and waste that you see as being really impactful or that are working towards what you spoke to as in really changing the prices to have this be a market-driven solution. What are some of these projects that really inspire you now that you hope to see scale or modeled after in more places? So yeah, there are some technology solutions. I mean, ideally, I'd rather supermarket take initiative because of course, the minute you get someone else in, you have to pay them. But if they don't want to take the lead, we do have some solutions. There is a company in Sweden called Y Waste, and they provide technological solution for the supermarkets. Basically, they use algorithms to reduce the price in time. Uh, you've got another company that basically does the exact same thing, Waste Less, based in the Netherlands. And they are being rolled out in certain supermarkets in Denmark. And apparently the, wa- the food waste levels have dropped in the stores that have used them. So those are very promising. So I think, yeah, I think I think there are solutions. And if supermarkets are willing and citizens put enough pressure on 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 those practices i think we will find solutions and you know if if you're some of your listeners are wondering you know if you if you pop around a store your local store and you see cheese discounted by 10% and it's going off tomorrow ask the employee ask them excuse me why is it only 10% could you not give us a better offer i mean we live in a market based economy you know the seller might set the price, but at the end of the day, it's the buyer who decides normally in, in most markets, it's like that. So I'm not sure why supermarkets can, can more or less, well, it's because governments have given them the option to be able to dump it around the back. But if they didn't have that option, we'd see a, a far greater fluctuation in prices, which is what all the classical economists have always written about, that the price will always fluctuate depending on the supply and demand of commodities. Mm. But the thing is, food waste is a little depressing. I'm not going to lie. And that's one of the great things that I'm motivated right now is because I'm building a website to talk about other things, such as I bought a mill for my home last year. And that's been amazing because when I was walking around the supermarket or in the supermarket dumpster, I was seeing all these flour packets, you know, wheat flour. And then I just started researching the whole wheat economy. And, and then I, I, I started reading up on the history of mills And then I just Googled, can you buy a mill for your home? And sure enough, there are many companies out there selling home mills. And basically in the last year, I have completely dropped out the supermarket wheat economy. I buy my grain whole from Danish farmers and I have my mill. So whenever I want to bake bread or make pancakes or crackers, I just just start milling my own flour. (laughs) And that's, that's been absolutely amazing and I don't think I would have looked into it really had it not been for this urban harvester project so that's been amazing and the thing is wheat in in America people eat 60 kilos of wheat every single year 60% of U.S. cropland is the big three so rice corn or wheat whereas fruit and vegetables is actually only two percent so yes we need good fruit and vegetables but we really need to think about how we grow our cereal grains because actually they cover far greater acreage than than our fruit and vegetables. And of course, I know that some of those grains, well, a lot of those grains, unfortunately, are going to feed livestock. But yeah, that's so I've really started to think about wheat a lot more. And and that's been really great. 
Well, we are coming to a close for our main discussion, but what are some additional insights that you'd like to share with our listeners that I haven't asked you about? And for people that would like to get involved in this sort of activism, what are your costs to action for them in terms of what is the best ways for us to pressure our grocery stores to take on some of these solutions that you mentioned? I think this will be very country depend, uh, yeah, country specific because it will come through legislation, unfortunately. So there's a very active community of food waste activists and dumpster diving across social media. So to, to begin, I'd recommend you know following the kind of dumpster diving and food waste hashtags to start familiarizing yourself with some of the activists on, on those social media. And then what myself, I, I'm going to try and and start being far more systematic with how I go about the the campaigning via my website. But yeah, I mean, I would just look up local organizations, local activists. I know my friend Rob Greenfield in in the US is is really quite active on that front, maybe a little less so today, but he's got a lot of resources on his website, which are very much US specific. But even in the US, it'll be very much state specific. And what I would say is, in some areas, there is prosecution risk and and some people need to dumpster dive and that, and that is hugely regrettable situation to be in. And so what I mean is uh, don't take unnecessary risks basically because it's not worth, yeah, felony or, or jail time over. Well, yeah. People. And that's another huge issue. Just the fact yeah. that poverty is so often criminalized by this legal system that was built based off of power essentially. So that's another huge systemic issue that we have. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm a white male in that sense. You know, I, I do have a lot of privilege that others might not get. And that is hugely unjust and that needs changing. So, yeah, I'm trying to do what I can, but it is very, it is very complex. There's no doubt about it. And uh, yeah, I just, yeah, please don't take risks, unnecessary risks that you're not prepared for because, because there are consequences at times and, and those are serious consequences. And so it is important to remind that, but, you know, there are professional organizations out there who are doing amazing work to, to lobby and campaign for a far more ethical and sustainable food system across our planet. And uh, so, yeah, look them up. Uh, I mean, in the US, for example, the food tank is one that is doing good work. And there are probably many, many other. Well, there are definitely, definitely many, many, many others that I uh, I can't remember just right now, but uh, it is, it's a difficult time at the moment because the food system is essentially a key exacerbator of the social and environmental crises we face. But if we do design it in the right way, it could be a huge mitigator offering massive employment to people and solving a lot of our environmental issues that we face. So, so it, depressing times in a way, but it could be hugely uplifting yeah, in a matter of years, if we get enough people involved. And so, so food is, food is a hugely passionate, passionate topic, basically. I could be the face on the magazine. Paint me like a debutante, you're prom queen. Pretty little girl, yeah, that's me.
what is an uplifting social media account or publication you follow or a book that's been really profound for you? The book I would recommend is by the chef in America called Dan Barber and The Third Plate. That completely changed my whole outlook on the food system. And then Dumpster Diving Profile, a lady called Madeleine in Sweden in Analysirat Economy. She is a mom who dumpster dives twice a week and she is so inspiring. She brings back so much food and I'm going to work with her and the Swedish media to really put pressure in Sweden because her work is amazing. What do you tell yourself to stay motivated and inspired? I read history uh, because <laughs> if you look back in time, it is amazing how far we've come. My mom just wrote a master's thesis once she's retired. And what women in the 19th century faced in Britain is just beyond shocking. So, yes, we have many issues, but many people in the West are living comforts our ancestors could never even begin to imagine. And what makes you most hopeful for our world at the moment? There's an ever greater number of people who are so passionate and interested in social and environmental justice. And that can only be a wonderful thing. And again, if we look back to environmentalists maybe three or four decades ago, they could have only dreamed of how mainstream this, these movements are becoming. And that is just fantastic to see. Well, Green Dreamer, you can keep up to date with Matt and his journey and learning lessons from highlighting food waste at N Urban Harvester on Instagram. He is currently building out his website, as you mentioned, so I'm sure you can keep up to date on that through his Instagram account. Matt, we appreciate you so much for this discussion and all that you do in highlighting such an important topic of today. What final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? Well, it's a complex world and there are a lot of people trying to convince you that that what they're saying is the right thing. And what I would say, a healthy dose of skepticism, not too much, not too little, a healthy dose will set you on, a, on the right path, I think. Green Dreamer, we've come full circle here. If our show has moved or inspired you, we'd love to get your direct support at patreon.com slash green dreamer. That is what makes this show and our diverse range of topics explored that are often left out of mainstream conversations possible. So thank you so much to all of our past and current patrons. Today's intermission song featured is The It Girl by Ray Zaragoza. Our audio producer is Scott Donnell. Our production intern is Spencer Carter. And I'm your host, Kamea Shane. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you soon in the next episode.